Welcome to the Fairfax Church Podcast. We're a community in Fairfax, Virginia, following Jesus. We upload new messages every week, and to learn more about us, visit us at fairfax.cc. Enjoy the message. So we're in the last week of this seven-week series in the Gospel of John called Restoring Broken Signposts. And uh, we've been focusing on these Seven longings that uh, are really at the heart of what it means to be uh, a, human, a human being, fully human. A longing for justice, a longing for love, a longing for power, a longing for beauty, a longing for freedom, for truth, for spirituality. And we've been talking, the, the reason for the series is because so often, even though we long for those things, we just, we just don't get it right. In other words, the signposts are so often broken. So what we've been doing in this series is looking at these seven signposts through the lens of the Gospel of John, because John does such a great job of helping us understand what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, what he will do in the future to restore these broken signposts and what we are called to do as followers of Jesus to be a part of that restorative process. And this week, we're looking at the signpost of power. Now, much of the suffering and injustice in the world is because of the abuse of power. Uh, and often the abuse of power through the use of violence. And we see it over and over and over again in the world. We've been reminded of it recently, just in the last few days, with everything that's happening in the world. Those without power try to gain power by using violence, and those with the power use that power to respond in violence. And, and what's playing out, here's the point I guess I want to make is that what's playing out in the Middle East today, and not just in the Middle East, in other parts of the world, we could name country after country, place after place, is not new news. It is not new news. It is as old as humanity. It is this vicious cycle of power through violence. And it always leaves a path of destruction and pain in its wake, especially for the most vulnerable. Now, when we see power being abused by anyone, when we see it being abused by a spouse or by an employer or by a terrorist group or by a government or by anything else, when we see power being abused, our, our reaction, our tendency is to think that maybe power itself is the problem. Lord Acton, a 19th century British historian, was the one who said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Some of you maybe are familiar with that, never knew who it was that actually said that. But power itself is not the problem. We can't function in the world without power and people being in power. Things have to get done. Laws have to be made, and then those same laws have to be enforced. Decisions have to be made. We want justice, and you can't have justice if there's no power to enforce 
the justice. The absence of power is anarchy. Somebody has to be driving the car. And if not, everyone in the car will be fighting to grab the steering wheel. And we have seen throughout history bad things happen when that is the case. That's why Paul in Romans 13, we don't have time to read all of these passages, but Paul in Romans 13 and Peter in 1 Peter 2 talk about the important role that government plays in a broken, sinful world. Paul says that we should, we should pray for those in power, those who are in power in government, that we should see, in fact, government as an instrument uh, of God to keep the world, this broken, sinful world from falling into anarchy. And, and, and we see that over and over again. And lest we think that Paul or Peter are naive to the abuses of, of government, keep in mind where Paul wrote all of this about seeing government as the instrument of God and praying for those in positions of power. Paul was in prison. He was in prison, unjustly imprisoned by the very Roman government that he was saying that we need to pray for and we need to see somehow as an instrument of God. And, and Peter and Paul both were in situations where they were abused by this totalitarian regime. Remember, Rome was a totalitarian regime that brutalized its enemies and sometimes even its own citizens. But Paul and Peter knew that governmental power was needed to prevent anarchy. It was needed to keep bullies and evil people from preying on the weak and the vulnerable. When you look at scripture, you see that human beings are given power on the first page of the Bible. In Genesis 1, we're told, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule, have power, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And in case you're going, oh, well, that's what God's original intention was, but then there was the fall, and so that's no longer the case. Well, Psalms 8 reinforces that when it says, you made him, talking about humanity, you made him ruler with power, ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. Now, sometimes we have done a very poor job handling the power that God has entrusted to us as human beings. We don't steward the environment well, or we have not at times governed well. That's why Solomon, when he becomes king, immediately asks God to give him wisdom so that he can handle the power that he's been given. In 1 Kings 3, it says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern to be in power, to be in authority over your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great 
people of yours. And what's implied in his question is who is able to govern well? Who is able to govern justly? The people that I've been entrusted to have power over, the people that I've been entrusted to govern. And so he seeks God's wisdom. So we are faced with this dilemma when it comes to power. We need people and entities that have power in order to function and that allow people to flourish in the world. But we also know that it can be something that easily goes wrong. And we see that in the news every, it seems like almost every day, power so often gets abused. It gets abused. Over and over again, we see power getting abused. So what's the answer? Well, first of all, we have to understand that there are two very different forms of power. And John reveals both forms of power uh, in his gospel. The first is what Jesus calls worldly power. And we see that kind of power at work in two people's lives in John's gospel. Two very, very different people. The first person is Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of the people that has walked with them for all of these years, hearing all of these messages about God's love and about God's grace and about God's forgiveness. And you see Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's this horde of Pharisees and soldiers along with Judas who come to forcibly arrest Jesus. And in the midst of this display of power on the part of Rome, Peter reacts with the same kind of power in order to defend Jesus. And this is what happens. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword. Now, if you know anything about Peter's personality, of all the disciples, probably Peter is the one that should not have had a sword. But Peter has a sword. So Simon Peter, who has a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant cutting off his right ear. Now, here's what we don't know. We don't know if Peter was aiming for his right ear and he's just really, really good with the sword or if he's aiming for the center of his head and all he got was his right ear. So we don't know if Peter's like really good with the sword or, or really bad with the sword, but he takes off the right ear of one of the servants of the high priest and we're told that his name was Malchus and Jesus commanded Peter put your sword away shall I not drink the cup the father has given me referring to the death that he's going to experience on the cross Jesus responds in a way that communicates that the power that he is bringing into this world, the kingdom that he's bringing into this world is not the kind of power, it's not the kind of kingdom that Peter thinks that it is. Even after all of these years of listening to Jesus, hearing Jesus' teaching about the kingdom and what the kingdom is all about, still Peter does not get it. In fact, none of the disciples really get it at this point. So he commands Peter to put his sword away and he heals Malchus's severed ear. The second person that we see that, that has this kind of worldly power at work is Pilate. Now, Pilate is the Roman governor who ends up sentencing Jesus to death. 
And in John 18 and 19, we see this confrontation that takes place between Jesus and Pilate. And on the surface, to like the casual observer who's watching what's transpiring that day, Jesus appears to be a defenseless human being with no power at all. He's flogged by the orders of the governor. He's sneered at and mocked by the soldiers who dress him up like a fake king and then mockingly parade him around as this kind of fake king. He looks completely and totally helpless. He looks like someone who is entirely at the mercy of the one who is really in power, the one who really has the levers to pull. In contrast to the casual, uh, for the casual observer, Pilate seems to be the one with all of the power. He has the power to have one man killed and to spare another person. He He has the power of life and death in his hands. And even though he is eventually answerable to Caesar, in this moment, he seemingly has all of the power. But it's a different kind of power than the power that Jesus is bringing into the world. And Jesus confronts Pilate and reminds him of that. And this is what Jesus says. Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? I love Jesus' response. He says, is that your idea or did someone else like talk to you about me? Like, is that, in other words, is that original thought? Or are you just kind of parroting what someone else has said? Which kind of ticks Pilate off. And Pilate says, am I a Jew? Like, I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. It was your people, your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus doesn't even answer that question. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. So what's the difference between these two kingdoms, between these two kinds of power? Well, Jesus is pretty explicit in describing the difference. He says, the kingdom of this world typically advances itself through violence and fighting. It advances itself by defeating or even destroying, if necessary, the other side. That's how Caesar's kingdom worked. And it worked with ruthless efficiency. If you know anything about the Roman government under the Caesars of Jesus' day, you know that it worked with ruthless efficiency. And Jesus tells Pilate that if his kingdom was of this world, then his followers, his disciples, his supporters would have staged an armed rebellion. That Jesus would have encouraged more of his followers to do what Peter did in the garden. In fact, in that moment, Peter's actions could have very easily escalated into this widespread armed conflict. Like we see this over and over and over again in the world. Like something starts that seems like it's just a little skirmish, that seems like it's just a little thing, and then all of a sudden it escalates and it escalates and it escalates into this huge armed conflict. But that's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Now when Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world, He is not just spiritualizing 
the kingdom. Like, here's the thing. Some of you are like with me right up to this point. And you're going like, Rod, I know where you're going with this. Like there's a worldly kingdom. There's a kingdom that we need to kind of get by in this world. And then there is this spiritual kingdom that's up in heaven that Jesus is talking about. And, and it's kind of ethereal and out there and located in heaven and kind of doesn't have much to do with the reality of the stuff that we are dealing with here on earth. It's not a practical kingdom. It's not a kingdom that actually makes a difference in this real world, the world that we are actually living in. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not just spiritualizing the kingdom to be something that's up in heaven somewhere that really doesn't have much to do with the realities that's happening on earth. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, but Jesus' kingdom is definitely for this world. His kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom is definitely for this world. That's the point that Jesus is making in the Lord's Prayer when he instructs his disciples to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, in Fairfax, in my family, in this community, in this conflict, in this situation, in this struggle, in this reality that I'm in the midst of right now, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right here, just as it is in heaven. God's kingdom comes from heaven, but it is designed to have its greatest impact on earth. Now, what does that impact look like? Like, what does that power that comes from heaven and is to have this impact here on earth, what does that power look like? Well, Jesus shows us in John 13. This is the, the Last Supper, the Passover, and John's the only one who inserts this particular element in terms of what happens at that last Supper, that Eucharist that takes place right before Jesus is crucified. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that the Father had given him, as the Son, all power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal... He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. So the father delegated to the son the task of bringing God's kingdom, bringing God's power to the earth. And how does Jesus express that power? By kneeling down and washing his disciples' feet. And then he tells them that this is the way that they are to express God's power here on earth. They are to express it the same way. By loving, by caring, and by serving. It's no coincidence that Jesus washes his disciples' feet on the night right before he's crucified. 
Because this act of service that he does by washing his disciples' feet is pointing to the ultimate act of service that he's going to perform when he dies for them and for us on the cross. Kingdoms of this world have death as their most powerful weapon. Like the kingdoms of this world, the final card that they hold is the ability to inflict violence and death on others. And and what we see in the midst of this, in the gospel, we see a profound reversal of everything that we thought we knew about power. Jesus redefines power. In Jesus, we see a power that is not afraid to die. In fact, it is a power that willingly goes to the cross and dies and then overcomes death through the power of the resurrection. And those who follow Jesus are to demonstrate that same kind of power. When we get to John 21, we see Peter come full circle in his understanding of power. Like it started in the garden where he still thought of power as a violent response to the violence that he was seeing take place. And now you go to John 21 and Peter has come full circle in his understanding of what true power looks like. Jesus in John 21 restores Peter and he recommissions Peter to live out God's calling on his life. In other words, Jesus gives Peter the authority and the power to advance his kingdom in the world. He gives him the authority and the power to live out his purpose on this earth. The same thing that Jesus does for each one of us. He gives us the authority and the power to advance his kingdom here on earth, whatever our vocation is. He gives us the authority and the power to live out the reason that we are on this planet. And that authority and that power look very different than the kind of power that Peter wanted to wield when he drew his sword and attacked the high priest's servant in the garden. Look at how Jesus describes this authority and power that he's giving to Peter. And and the passage I want to read Probably some of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you are really familiar with this passage. And, but you never saw this passage as having anything to do with power. Like you never read this passage and go, oh, that's a power. That's a passage about power. But it, it is exactly a passage about power. Look at what it says. When they had finished eating, This is after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and now he's gone to Galilee to to once again come to his disciples to reinstate and restore Peter to his position of leadership. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you really love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time whether he loved him or not. Like, it's like, why do you keep asking me this question of whether I love you? Yes, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus saying, Peter, it's the sheep that matter. Like as you are dealing with the authority and the power that I am recommissioning you to have, that I am reinstating you to have, that I am restoring in your life. As you are dealing with that authority and power that I am giving you, I want you to realize it's all about the sheep. It's all about the people. It's the people who matter. I'm giving you the authority and the power to love people. I'm giving you the authority and the power to care for people. I'm giving you the authority and the power to serve people. Jesus is saying that power isn't about dominating others or using others to advance yourself. Power is about loving and caring and serving, that that's the power that will actually end up changing the world. Now, sometimes we look at what's going on in the world, and I've, I've been dealing with this the last few days myself, and there are other times when I deal with this, and because of the chaotic stuff that's going on, and maybe you're dealing with this now. Maybe it has nothing to do with what's going on in the news. Maybe it's stuff that's going on in your family or in your relationship, whatever. But sometimes we look at everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in our life, and we just feel so powerless. In fact, uh, that's one of the things as I've been talking to people about um, how they've been dealing with and feeling about everything that's happening. That's the that's the word that I hear more often than any other word. I just feel powerless. I just feel powerless. And, and, and I have to confess that's been an emotion I have felt as well. I just feel powerless. I just feel powerless. It feels like those with the most political clout have all the power. Or those with the biggest guns have all the power. Or those with the most money have all the power. Or those with the most influence have all of the power. And I think that's how Peter must have felt as he stood in the garden that night. With all the Roman soldiers coming around to arrest Jesus and the full power of the, the Roman government coming to bear on, on what they thought was going to happen. And now all of that seems like it's kind of going up in smoke and that he just must have felt powerless in that moment. In fact, I think that's how all of Jesus' followers must have felt as they saw their leader arrested and beaten and then put to death by the power of Rome. They must have thought we're just this little ragtag group of believers flying in the face of the all powerful Roman Empire. But then, but then Jesus rises from the dead 
And he fills this little ragtag group with the power of his Holy Spirit. And he sends them out to to change the world. And guess what? They change the world. Like the world is changed by this little ragtag group that is filled with the power of Jesus' spirit at work in their lives. The seemingly indestructible Roman Empire with all of its weaponry and might is no more. And this little group of Christ followers empowered by Jesus to love and to care and to serve, which seems so innocuous and so non-powerful to think about being empowered to love and empowered to care and empowered to serve this little group that has been empowered to love and care and share are now everywhere in the world, everywhere on the face of this planet. They are made up of every tongue and every tribe. What Revelation talks about of the every tongue and every tribe standing before the throne, that is the reality of what is going on. Every tongue, every tribe, they are making disciples of all nations. Now, here's the deal. And this is what so often throws us when we think about God's power and the Holy Spirit's power at work in us, empowering us to to love and to care and to serve and to sacrifice and to give and all of that, is that that didn't happen overnight. Sometimes we forget that it took hundreds of years for the Roman Empire to fall. Generation after generation after generation before it became a reality. But eventually, God's kingdom, God's power wins out. Eventually, God's kingdom and God's power wins out. So what's our role in all of this? Well, our role is just to stay patient and keep loving. Our role is just to stay patient and keep caring. Our role is just to stay patient and keep serving. Our role is just to realize the sheep matter. People matter. And the most powerful force in the world is the Spirit of God at work in the life of a believer who is committed to loving and caring and serving and who does not lose heart and who does not grow weary and who does not give up and who does not get over so overwhelmed that they disengage but stays patient, is patient and continues to love, is patient and continues to care is patient and continues to serve. That's our role in all of this. In the midst of your family, stay patient and keep loving. In the midst of what's going on in your family, stay patient and keep caring. In the midst of what's going on in your family, stay patient and keep serving. In the midst of the conflicts that you are facing, stay patient 
and keep loving. Stay patient and keep caring. Stay patient and keep serving. In the midst of the chaos that sometimes we experience in the world, sometimes at a global level, sometimes at a personal level, in the midst of whatever chaos you may be experiencing, stay patient and keep loving. Stay patient and keep caring. Stay patient and keep serving. Because if Jesus' spirit is at work in you, you have power. You may not feel like you have power. You may feel powerless in the midst of things that are happening in the world or happening in your life. But if God's spirit is at work in you, you have power. You have power to change your family. You have power to change your community. You have power to change this nation. You have power to change the world. So stay patient and keep loving. Stay patient and keep caring. Stay patient, stay patient and keep serving. God, we are overwhelmed sometimes when we see worldly power. And it can cause us, just like the disciples, just like Peter, just like Christians throughout history, just like folks that we know, it can cause us at times to feel so powerless. But we are reminded in your word and we are reminded by the testimony of the saints, the witness of the saints over the past 2,000 years, that if your spirit is at work within us that we have power. We have the power to change the dynamics in our family. We have the power to change the dynamics in a community, in a nation, in the world. And we have the power to, to see change take place in our own lives. And so Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you and to your spirit and to the power. Lord, allow us to be patient and keep loving, to be patient and keep caring, to be patient and keep serving, to be patient and to be willing to sacrifice, to be patient and be willing to lay down our agenda and our lives if necessary, to be patient and to see your change take place through your church. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Fairfax Church podcast. You can find more messages like this on our YouTube channel at Fairfax Church or follow us here. If you were blessed by the message and resources provided, feel free to leave us a review.